The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast-paced. It's like a good two-minute drill. We are just boom, 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 right down the field. Opinionated. If they take the David Price savings and the Mookie Betts savings and pocket the money, it will have been a lie, and the fan base will be furious. To the point. Cam is not that guy. He's not the kind of athlete that works in today's NFL for the most part. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in on a Wednesday. Brady Farkas Show right here, WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. As always, if you want to interact with the show, you can. You can reach out to me on Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady at WDEV Radio Brady. Freddie Coleman, ESPN radio host, will join us as he does every single Wednesday at 545. So Freddie coming up in about 15 minutes. And you'll also hear a couple of sound bites from Phil Mackey, Score North radio host in Minneapolis. We've got some crossover between Minnesota and between our area, which is odd to think about, but New England and Minneapolis, the sports scenes intertwined. So you'll hear from Phil in a bit uh, throughout the show as well. I am starting to now doubt a major portion of the Patriots' offseason plan. We've all had it figured out. We have all think we've had it figured out. Figure out the quarterback, yes, but what's the other thing we've all said? Get weapons. Get weapons. Get more weapons for New England. Okay, We've all pointed out they need better weapons. We all say, got to get more weapons. We want them to draft them. We want them to trade for them. We want them to sign them. Whatever it takes, get weapons here, specifically a wide receiver and tight end. And there's a lot of good options out there. Wide receiver in particular, Allen Robinson, A.J. Green, T.Y. Hilton, Juju Smith-Schuster, they're all free agents. We're like, hey, let's just get one of those guys. Let's get one, maybe two of those guys. Patriots are going to have cap space. Pats are going to be able to get a guy or two. They're going to look a whole lot different next year. doesn't matter who's the quarterback. If they get weapons, things will be better. And we're, we're naming weapons for you here. It's going to be great. But you know what just hit my mind today? For the very first time, what if, allow yourself to think this, what if wide receivers like that don't want to come to New England? We've never explored that possibility. We've just assumed because the Patriots have a need and because they have cap space that they'll be able to get somebody in here and that would help the offense take off. But is that really the case? What jarred me here, what has me so nervous about this, is a tweet that I saw late last night, early this morning. And it came from, it was about Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs spoke to NBC on Sunday before the game uh, with Buffalo against Pittsburgh. And I didn't see it at the time. So Stephon Diggs said, here's why he wanted out of Minnesota this year. He said, The Vikings were kind of gearing towards a run-heavy offense at the time. I didn't know it going in. I didn't know it was going to be that way. They only would allow me to do so much. In my eyes, it wasn't going to be in the best interest of my career. That right there should send red flags up all throughout New England and all throughout Patriots Nation. Elite, top-end wide receivers don't want to play in run-first offenses, and the Patriots are exactly that. Maybe we've had this all wrong. Maybe I've had it all wrong. I just assumed cap space and a need, we're going to throw money at this guy, that guy, and that guy, and we're going to all be good, and we're going to go into next year right back in the thick of things. 
Stephon Diggs is telling you, elite wide receivers, they don't want to play in offenses like that. And that's what the Patriots' reputation is this year. And as of now, that's what it looks like it has to be next year based on as they're currently constructed. The elite wide receiver wants to play a pretty game, a speed-predicated game. They want to be involved. They want to put up huge numbers. They want to grow their brand. They want to be on the cover of Madden. And all of a sudden, in this offense, you can't do any of that. And you're going to be asked to block down in the box 37 times a game. No shot. There's no shot. If the Patriots are going to play like this next year, if players and agents think that this is New England moving forward, Patriots won't be able to get a Juju Smith-Schuster or an A.J. Green or a T.Y. Hilton. They're not coming here for that. And that's a concept that has been totally foreign to me. I have just assumed players would want to come here because the team's always in a position to be competitive and the Patriots have money. Wide receivers, they don't want to come and do this. Even Flutie. Flutie told me this months ago. Wide receivers hate playing an offense like this. They don't want to do this. They want to catch passes. They want to run up and down the field. They want to be on the cover of video games. They don't want to block 37 times a game in the box in November through January here in New England. They don't want to do that. So the second part of the conversation is this. What needs to happen for New England to attract top receivers? What what can they do? All the negatives I just laid out. Receivers don't want to run block. They don't want to play in a run-first offense. They want to be stars. What can New England do? The Patriots would have to, I would imagine, have to pay top dollar. They can try to just outbid everybody. I mean, look, that's that's happened before in sports where – Gordon Hayward. Look at Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward goes to the Hornets partly because they outbid everybody massively. Players want money. Players like money. And money can buy away some unhappiness even. But Belichick doesn't tend to overspend on skill players. And eventually, you just end up with an unhappy and disgruntled player like Diggs was in Minnesota, and he requests a trade, and that becomes a distraction, and that becomes a problem. So I don't see New England doing that. I don't see New England just saying, we're going to overspend. Hey, the market calls for you to make $16 million a year. We're going to pay you $24. I don't see that happening. Number two, what can the Patriots do to attract top wide receivers? They can make promises to free agents that they're going to change the style of offense and that they're going to adopt a more modern style offense for today's NFL. But that requires the player and his agent to believe that. And there's a lot of distrust between ownership and agents, between players in front offices. There's distrust all across the league and in any business. When the employee and management have to link up, there's a whole lot of distrust. There's a whole lot of, yeah, but do I really believe that? I mean, even Diggs says, I didn't know it was going to be this way going into Minnesota. I signed a big deal there. I didn't know it was going to be this way. He had no idea. There's a lot of distrust there. There's a lot of dishonesty there between two sides. And let's not forget, the Patriots are going to have to then make a quarterback decision really, really, really quickly. An elite wide receiver will want to know who's throwing the ball to him. If the team signs Cam again, 
that would seem to work against this thought process. A wide receiver is going to look and say, hey, I saw what Cam did last year. I know what kind of offense they're going to be, and I don't want to be a part of that. So I'm out. We like Cam when it comes to leadership qualities. We like Cam when it comes to his ability to rally the troops. But what's going to work against Cam if he's here in the offseason is wide receivers are not going to want to come and play in this kind of offense in which the Patriots would have to run back. They they do not want to do that. So getting the weapons is not going to be easy through free agency if Cam is here. And even if the Patriots pivot, if they go sign uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick or sign Tyrod Taylor, somebody that players might think is a better thrower of the football, you're going to have to do that very quick because – Top-end wide receivers are going to get signed like the first minute of free agency. And you're not going to be able to sign the free agent quarterback prior to it. So like, it's all going to work in conjunction with each other. I don't think you can pull it off timing-wise. Like, If the Patriots can sign Fitzpatrick on the first day of free agency, even the first day of free agency, you might have the top three wide receivers all gone. In fact, they probably will be all gone. If they don't know who the quarterback is, they're not coming here. That's not going to happen unless you massively overpay, which I just told you I don't think they're going to. So this is now getting very scary to me. I mean, even trading for a quarterback, if you're going to trade for Matt Stafford, you better do it darn early. None of this waiting until July to see what's going up. None of this waiting until right before the draft. That that can't happen. Because if you trade for Matthew Stafford, it better be done in February. And I don't even know that it can be – it can't be completed. I guess it can be agreed to at principle, but – I don't know that the new GM in Detroit is going to want to come in and say, hey, I've been hired for an hour. Let me trade Matthew Stafford. So I don't know that this is going to work. We all had the plan. Just get weapons. It'll be easy. You got cap space. You got a need. Players want money. It's not going to be that easy. If Cam's here, he works against you. Players won't want to play there. Receivers, rather, won't want to play with Cam. Not top-end ones, at least. If you get rid of Cam... You're not going to be able to sign a quarterback and then tell all the receivers who the quarterback is in a, in a, enough time period. Like, the receivers are going to be signed the first minute of free agency. And you can't get the quarterback prior than the first minute. That's not going to happen. Trading for Stafford, that's a guy that I like. I don't think it's a smart thing, but I like Stafford. And he's he's not getting traded by the new GM an hour on the job. That would have to be probably slower played probably prior to the draft. Once the Lions hire a head coach and all that. It's not happening quickly. This this receiver thing is a real big issue now. Free agency is not going to happen in the easy way that I thought it was in New England. I mean, I, I think the, the only option for them really is going to end up being that the Patriots are going to have to wait until the draft and they're going to have to throw several picks at the position. I mean, they may have to because I don't know that anything else that I just mentioned will happen for them in an advantageous way. But I know this. They need stars at wide receiver. Cam, If Cam's here or not here, no matter what, no matter who the quarterback is, they need stars. 100%. And I like Jacoby Myers. I like Demir Bird. They've done an admirable job. This team cannot have them or equivalent players being 1-2 and two next year. Even Julian Edelman shouldn't have to be number one. They need stars at the wide receiver position. If the stars won't come here willingly in free agency, the Pats better invest and invest a lot in the draft. They better invest a lot in the draft because the top-end free agents 
they just may say no. They're like, no, no, no. We want to go where we can get nine targets a game, not nine targets in a month. They want four. I mean, th uh, this is the tight end position. Patriots tight ends have 14 catches this season. I think I saw today five individual players have 14 catches in a game. No, no, no. Top end players, they are not coming here to run this offense back. They are not doing it. And I didn't even think about that as a possibility until I saw the tweet where Stephon Diggs said, I wanted out of Minnesota because the it was transitioning to a running-based offense. I had no interest in that, essentially, he is saying. And Allen Robinson and Juju Smith-Schuster and T.Y. Hilton, they're having no interest in coming to New England and getting told, you're going to play down in the box and block 42 times a game so that we can run QB power and a, a toss sweep to the left. Not going to happen. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Uh, we do this every single week, and I want to bring this up because I want to make sure I talk about it with Freddie Coleman. We'll have to do it a little bit quicker here than usual, but it's the middle of the week. I got things that I've been sitting on, things that have marinated with me, midweek questions. Midweek questions. You know, speaking of Patriots wide receivers, speaking of Pats wide receivers, the Pats might not need elite wide receivers in the draft, by the way, if Nikhil Harry would just hit. I mean, Nikhil Harry, who they drafted in the first round last year, he's got 29 catches this year and two touchdowns. Patriots have played 13 games. Nikhil Harry has 29 catches and two touchdowns. And now Nikhil Harry's, Nikhil Harry's trainer is popping off about Cam Newton. He says, we've got a new quarterback. We've got to put some of that blank on Cam. Cam hasn't been the most accurate passer this year. Like if Nikhil had Tom Brady, Tom would have fed him. But we're back there with Cam, and Cam's getting acclimated to this offense too. Okay, the midweek question, how is Nikhil Harry going to handle this? You're a second-year player. You're a trainer who's a reputable guy. Rashad Whitfield is a reputable trainer in the NFL. He's worked with OBJ and other top receivers. How are you, Nikhil Harry, a second-year player, going to handle this? Because this is garbage. This cannot happen. If I'm Harry, I'm telling him to pipe down. Look, Rashad Whitfield, I know your resume is great, but you work for me. The inner circle of athletes needs to understand that they cannot put their athlete in the crosshairs like this. Nikhil Harry's had a hard enough time trying to stay on the field, trying to catch passes, trying to learn to get separation, trying to perfect his routes. He's got enough things on his plate that he does not need a guy that he pays to work for him now make his life difficult. Okay, It doesn't matter if it's an athlete's wife or husband or trainer. You are there to prop the athlete up and to make them more comfortable not make life difficult for them. I mean, once you make life difficult for me, you become a liability, and that's a fact. And this guy is now putting Nikhil Harry in the crosshairs with the fans, with Cam, with Bill, with everybody in the organization. This guy has now made life difficult for a player where life was already difficult because of a lack of productivity. Tom Brady was able to get away with it because he was Tom Brady. But Alex Guerrero makes his life more difficult, made his life more difficult in Foxborough. We talk about Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford's wife just went off about coronavirus restrictions in Michigan. That doesn't make Matthew Stafford's life any easier. You can't make life uncomfortable for the athlete when you are in the athlete's inner circle. 
look, Rashad Whitfield, like everybody, can have the opinion, okay? He can have the opinion that Cam stinks or that Cam is holding back Nikhil Harry. Of course he can. But it can't become public. You have got to put as favorable of a spin on that situation as you possibly can. I mean, Nikhil Harry pays Rashad Whitfield to work with him, to make him better, to make his job easier, not to make it more difficult. So my midweek question is, how is Harry going to handle this? Because Harry needs to go to Cam and apologize and say, hey, Rashad Whitfield does not speak for me. And Nikhil Harry needs to go to Whitfield and say, hey, I pay you. You have to do what I say. And this is not appropriate. And he needs to put him in his place. He might want to work with Whitfield because Whitfield's reputation is good. And he's worked with a lot of good players that Harry wants to get to the level of those players. But he can't be doing this. Harry's got a lot of other things to work about, to worry about, rather than have to worry about what this guy is saying. I mean, Harry hasn't said anything publicly. He's handled it right. His trainer needed to follow suit. How Harry handles it, though, that'll be a big thing. Talk to Cam. Talk to Belichick. Talk to the receivers coach. Talk to the quarterback coach. Go to the reporter, Henry Henry McKenna of uh, Patriots Wire. Talk to him. Clear the air. And then tell your guy to stop. It's the Brady Farkas Show. Brought to you by the all-new Preston's Kia in Montpelier, home of lifetime oil changes and state inspections. Preston's Kia, family-owned and operated, and they will do whatever it takes to earn and keep your business. Coming up next, if I'm Nikhil Harry, I'm telling my trainer to pipe down. How is Freddie Coleman handling it if he were Nikhil Harry? We'll ask the ESPN radio host who joins us next right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Hey, it's Jordan Preston, general manager at family-owned and operated Preston's Kia on Route 2 East in Montpelier. Let's talk about safety. Sure, Kias have been given the 2020 IHA Top Pick Safety Rating. And being safe on the road is important, but being safe off the road is too. That's why at Preston's Kia, we become the very first auto dealership to partner with Microbe Free Solutions of New Hampshire. And they've treated the entire building at Preston's Kia with their Fresh Start and X microbe products. Proven to kill 99.9% of bacteria, germs, and viruses. Thus, ensuring your safety and the safety of our employees when you do business with Preston's Kia. Want to know more? Email Sean at microbefreesolutionsofnh at gmail.com or call 603-748-1192. Preston's Kia. Safe cars, safe people, and a safe place to do business. Worth the drive from Burlington, Plattsburgh, St. Johnsbury, and just about everywhere else. Route 2 East of Montpelier. Visit us online anytime and check out the complete inventory at prestonskia.com. And remember, tell them, little brother. We want to see you in a Kia. One of the nicest guys in sports talk radio and one of the smartest. We thought the Patriots that they're very good at keeping information from getting out. They're better than the FBI and the CIA. It's time for our weekly conversation with ESPN's Freddie Coleman on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM and WDEVradio.com Welcome back. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. As it is every Wednesday at this time, we bring on our guy, Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio host. You can hear him tonight beginning at 9 p.m. as you can every weeknight right here on WDEV. Freddie, how are you? I'm good, my man. How are you doing with the snow that's going to be hitting New England sooner than later? Well, not hitting us too much here in northern Vermont. We're expecting like two inches. Oh, well, then you guys lucked out because we're getting anywhere from 10 to 15 here where I live at. I'm not lucking out at all. The pandemic means we can't go anywhere, so I got snowshoes. So I'm looking for like I'm looking for the snow this year. It's the only thing I can do. 
I didn't think about that. You know what? I keep forgetting. It's not like I forgot about the pandemic. I'm trying to forget about it. But I guess I'm so used to having things. Okay, you got to make these kind of adjustments. And more than ever before, until the vaccine takes hold and we get a little bit more normalcy or whatever that's going to be, that I got to really consider that no matter what's going on at the outside or the inside. Yeah, I'm looking for the snow because it means I have something to do. Hey, I want to start with this. I was just talking about this. Nikhil Harry's trainer his wide receiver trainer is talking bad about cam newton and blaming some of harry's lack of production on cam if you were harry and someone who's in your inner circle is bashing your quarterback how do you handle that well you tell him to be quiet because as we've seen with bill belichick or any coach worth his weight and salt when you have outside force i think they know what's going on that's a quick ticket out of town especially when you have not lived up to any of the advanced billing that the Patriots thought they were getting when they drafted you in the first round out of Arizona State. So if you're Nikhil Harry, you got enough problems trying to hold on to the football being a productive wide receiver. The last thing you need outside of the Patriots or part of your inner circle running their mouth because that person will still have a job, whatever it is they're doing, whatever is kind of training that they do. But if you're Nikhil Harry, do you want that baggage staying with you with New England or if they decide to move on for it from you? going somewhere else when you're trying to get an NFL job. So I'm not in the business, Brady, of telling grown people what to do. But in this situation, that grown young man better handle his business or else it's going to handle him, and it's not going to be a good thing. Do you think, Cam, when you watch him, do you think he's truly done, or is some of his performance this year explainable in terms of lack of weapons, et cetera? Well, I don't think he's truly done, but I will say this. He's only going to be as effective if you give him some playmakers on the outside. But at that point... There's only so many things I think that you'll be able to teach him at this point in his career. He's never going to be the accurate passer kind of guy. He's never going to be the kind of guy that's going to complete anywhere from 63 to 68 percent passes. That's just not going to happen. The sheer force of Cam Newton's game has always been about being able to run the football, being able to use his big body. But at a certain point, you've got to be able to make those throws. And not just making critical throws, Brady, but you can't miss those layups. And how many times have you seen that Cam Newton's career? Quick swing pass out of the backfield. He does hit the running back. Easy throw in the middle of the field. The ball's behind the too high for a guy. Those things, if they have not been fixed by now, they're not going to be fixed. So that's something that New England has to deal with and take into consideration if they believe he's going to be the quarterback after 2020. This offense is based on precision. It's based on timing. And if you can't have a quarterback that can do those kind of things, then you have to look somewhere else or you hope that Cam Newton will go into the the way back time machine and maybe coming to Tom Brady going into 2021. <laughs> Freddie, a, a writer at WEEI, Ryan Hannibal, Patriots writer, said the Pats season is dangerously close to being a total failure. Do you think the season is a total failure even if they don't make the playoffs? Yeah, because you build up that kind of culture when you're the Patriots that even in a quote-unquote rebuilding, reloading season, it's about getting into the playoffs. It's about showing any kind of progression no matter where you were at the beginning of the year. So anybody that's Bill Belichick or Robert Kraft is going to tell you this season has not gone the way that we wanted to, and it's going to be regarded as a failure. When you've had 20 years of success where you dominated the AFC East, where you always were a contender in the AFC, any step back or steps back is going to be looked at as a failure. And if I'm a Patriots fan, that's how I would look at it. I would never want my organization, after having all that kind of success, to say, well, we tried our best, we hope to do better next year. 
you should want an organization that is upset and feel that this season is a lost season, is a failure kind of season based on the last 20 years of success that you've had as a Patriots organization and being a fan of the Patriots organization. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, hosts with us every single Wednesday at this time on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. His show tonight, 9 p.m., right here on WDEV. And, Freddie, I want to move to the NBA because – Kyrie Irving is infuriating to me. I I have never been more wrong on an athlete than I have been on him. I was so pumped for him to be in Boston. I love watching him play, but I I'm I'm out on him now. What's your overall impression of Kyrie? I'll say this about Kyrie Irving, and I get it because we see somebody who is not stupid. He may say some silly things and say some outlandish and out of the world things. But you can accuse Kyrie Irving of a lot of things. You can't accuse him of being dumb. You can't accuse him of being stupid because that would be inaccurate if you feel that way. But I understand being infuriated with him because here's a guy that has a wondrous kind of talent, but he is going to do his thing. He's going to do it his way. And using guys are like that, their shelf life is going to be very, very small because at a certain point you say to yourself, what the bleep? Why do I want to put up with this guy anymore? Kyrie Irving believes that he should be considered on the same line as LeBron James. He is never going to get that, especially the way that he says these things or the way he continues to act. Now, I'm hoping that when he talked to the media after he played his first preseason game of the weekend, where even he backtracked the comments on Steve Nash and even said, you know, we need a coach, we need a guy like that. It shouldn't take that for Kyrie Irving to come to the realization that he can't be a player coach in the NBA because nobody's <laughs> going to follow him. But Kyrie Irving is not going to change. No matter how upset people are going to be with him, he's going to continue to speak what he believes in, and he's going to have that mindset to do that. And it also doesn't help any Kyrie Irving haters that he is the vice president of the NBA Players Association. That means enough of his peers regard him that highly to think that he should have a leadership position. And I think that's playing with fire of the NBA Players Association. So I would say don't be as infuriated with Kyrie Irving because he's only going to say or do something else that's going to make <laughs> you eat better. So at that standpoint, he's going to be his his own man. He's going to be and do things his way, and that's just the way that's going to go no matter how long he stays in Brooklyn, if he's there for a short or a long time. You know, something Kyrie said, though, this week caught my attention. He said he didn't want to talk to the media because he wants to be able to control his own message. And we see a lot of athletes doing that and starting podcasts and saying things that they think will not be misquoted and stuff like that. Now the Knicks aren't allowing media even in the building at Madison Square Garden. Do you worry about a restriction of media access in a post-pandemic world? I really don't because players can say that all the time, but then they use different kinds of media to get their message out, and then anybody that's a media member is going to report on that. So you may think you're controlling the narrative, and I understand why they want to do that. But Kyrie Irving putting that out there, nobody has misconstrued any message that he's put out there. So I'm not buying that from him. If Just say that, hey, I want to do it this way. I don't want to have anything to do with the media. Just be honest about that from that standpoint. And to me, he's being less than honest. He's being completely disingenuous by putting that out that he wants to control the narrative. He's always controlled the narrative. He's always had that kind of moment to say, I want to say this to the media. I want to say that to the media. So when any athlete out there says that, you know what's going to happen, Brady? The media may give them what they want. And then they'll be the first person to say, I don't get any respect from the media, and the media doesn't give me any love. <laughs> well, how can you expect respect and love from the media if you don't want to give them a platform to get your message out there? And if somebody misquotes you or somebody says something wrong, then you call them out. I'm not against that. 
but don't give me the whole thing trying to control the narrative because you do control the narrative when and if you talk to the media. That's a way of controlling that no matter who you are. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio host with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. So I heard you on your show last night talking about Giannis signing that five-year Supermax and said you said it was great for the NBA. I agree with you. But this morning on ESPN Radio, Zubin Mahente said something interesting. He said that Giannis doesn't draw him to the television. Like, do you think Giannis is truly a star? Like, what draws you to the TV to watch somebody? Because he has that magnetism. And, yeah, it's not along the lines of a Steph Curry or a LeBron James. But don't pay the, don't have Giannis pay the price because he doesn't play in Miami. That's why I believe that was coming from from Zubin. A lot of people wanted Giannis that if he was going to leave to go to a Miami, to go to a New York, to go to a major market. But you can thrive and survive in a small market. I mean, Kevin Durant did it when he was in Oklahoma City. Russell Westbrook did it when he was with Oklahoma City. Even though San Francisco opened not regarded as a big market, it's considered a small market. Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors are able to, to survive and thrive. If you want to punish Giannis because he plays in Milwaukee, then that's a you problem. That's not a Giannis problem. But Giannis, when he's on TV, he is a very engaging person to watch. Now, now Milwaukee has do a better job maybe promoting him, and the NBA has done a great job promoting Giannis. He has commercials all over the place. So if you're not drawn to the TV, then you just don't like Giannis, or you just don't like a guy that can have that kind of ability. There are plenty of people with teams that would kill for a guy like that. Reggie Miller had great magnetism, and he was a great player with the Indiana Pacers. That was not a big market, and still is not a big market now. So for anybody to put that out there at the feet of Giannis, that's being very unfair. If you don't want to watch him, just say you don't want to watch him. But don't say he doesn't draw you to the TV. If you say that, then apparently you don't know basketball at all. You don't even watch basketball properly to put that out there with a the guy that's one of the top three players in the NBA. Freddie Coleman, one of the best with us every single week. Freddie, we're going to get a chance to talk to you next week uh, before the holiday, but hopefully all your Christmas shopping will be done since it will be the day before Christmas Eve. Oh, don't worry. The shopping's all done. There's no doubt about that. So I don't have to worry about that at all. Not right, right now, for me, it's going to be easy, smooth sailing to get ready for the holiday. There you go, Freddie. We'll talk to you next week, and we'll enjoy your show tonight beginning at 9 p.m. Appreciate you, Brady. Talk to you next week, buddy. You take care. All right, you too. There he goes, Freddie Coleman. What we'll do, we'll step aside. We'll get an update on the national front from CBS News. And then at the top of the hour, we will get to our Freddie Coleman takeaways. A lot of great stuff there to digest. The guys are already working now on cutting up the interview. But first... The Red Sox are apparently shopping at the top of the food chain this offseason. I'll tell you why that's a bad idea. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. WDEVradio.com and making a donation. Thank you. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, welcome back. Freddie Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Thanks to Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio for joining us. We'll get to our takeaways from Freddie in a minute as we continue to, or a few minutes rather, as we continue to uh, cut up the interview. And I've got some thoughts already that are marinating on that. Remind you all to subscribe to the full show podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. Just search for The Brady Farkas Show. And you will find us there on the full show, some exclusive interviews there as well, some special ones coming here the rest of the week that won't even appear in full on the show. So get some special uh, digital-only access by subscribing to the podcast. Before we get to the Freddie takeaways, though, I want to go here, back to the Red Sox, because the Red Sox are reportedly interested in free agent pitcher Jake Odorizzi this offseason. So the Red Sox are looking to shop near the top of the food chain. That's a bad idea. I am out on Jake Odorizzi. Okay, he's probably the second best pitcher on the free agent market 
other than Trevor Bauer. So Bauer's one, Odorizzi's two. I want I I'm I'm out. I want nothing to do with Jake Odorizzi playing for the Boston Red Sox. First off, he's already 30 years old. Once again, he does not fit my profile for this team. My profile for this team is getting younger, getting more athletic, getting prospects. It's not paying 30-year-olds to be a part of a team that I won't I don't think will be that good. And the fans who tell me they want Odorizzi I think are looking at this season with the with wrong expectations. I'm sorry. I think the Red Sox are going to be a lot like they were last year. They're not very good. They have questions in the rotation. They have questions in the bullpen. And outside of a few elite offensive pieces, they have questions in the lineup also. Chris Sale won't be back until at least May. Are we sure that he'll be great after Tommy John surgery? I'm not. Eduardo Rodriguez is coming back from myocarditis, a COVID-19 complication. I'm rooting for him like heck. I don't know if he's going to throw 200 innings this year. I just don't. And uh, Nathan Nivaldi always seems to have something pop up and ends up on the injured list. I don't know that I could trust him to throw 150 innings. This team has a ton of questions. And just throwing money at 30-year-old free agents doesn't solve them. Odorizzi's going to be 31 soon. His his productivity does not mesh with this team's timeline. This team is not one pitcher away. If this team, like the White Sox, they think they're one pitcher away. So they go and trade for Lance Lynn. Teams that think they're one piece away, they make big moves. Yankees, one piece away, signed Garrett Cole last year. The Red Sox aren't there. They're not. And they shouldn't be going after Odorizzi. And here's what's most telling. The Twins, his most recent team, a team that saw him go to the All-Star game in 2019. So, Jake Odorizzi was an All-Star in 2019. The Twins are coming off a, a, a division championship in the AL Central. The Twins are playing for a World Series. People in Minneapolis with the win-now Twins, they don't even care if they get Odorizzi back. If a team that's playing for the World Series doesn't think that Odorizzi can help them do that, why the heck should I care? Why should I want to bring that to Boston? Phil Mackey is a longtime radio host at Score North in Minneapolis. I spoke to him earlier today for a a digital exclusive interview. The whole interview is on the Brady Farkas podcast channel. Here's what Phil Mackey told me about, about Odorizzi. He said, look, I'm not rushing to have him back. Listen, if you want 148 good, solid innings from a starting pitcher that you're probably going to pay a full season's uh, worth of money to, Jake Odorizzi is your guy. The Twins are playing for a World Series. People in that city who care about that team don't care about getting Odorizzi back. Why am I bringing him to Boston when I don't even think I'm close right now to competing for a World Series? It's not a good investment. To Mackey's point... You're going to pay Odorizzi top dollar, and he's going to play, what, 65% of the season, 70% of the season? He hasn't thrown more than 165 innings since 2016. The year he made the All-Star team, he only averaged five and a third innings a start. He doesn't even go deep into games. So he's off injured, 
He doesn't go deep into games. He puts a tax on your bullpen, and that's a tax that I can't afford. If I'm paying you top dollar, I can't have you go five innings consistently, send it to my bullpen, and my bullpen's no good. I got Matt Barnes, who I like, and I got Darwins and Hernandez coming back, who I think I like. Beyond that, who do I have? So if if my big ticket acquisition is going to go five innings and turn it over to a bunch of AAA players, what am I doing it for? Not not a worthwhile investment. I mean, also, Odorizzi made the all-star team in 2019. It's the only time he's done it. He had a career year in 2019. I don't think all of a sudden he's going to repeat that two or three more times to make this deal worth it. Do you? He was a guy who... He got traded a lot of times in his career. Traded from Milwaukee, traded from Tampa. Now Minnesota doesn't want him back. Somewhere in there is a reason why this guy can't stick. He does have a career year and an all-star appearance in 2019. Do I trust him to repeat it two or three more times, two or three more years? No, it's not a worthwhile investment. And, you know, to his credit, to Odorizzi's credit, He's made some nice adjustments in his career. He throws harder than he used to. He strikes out more people than he used to. Okay, But he did that at 28, 29 years old. Do I think he's going to sit at 93 until he's 33 or 34? No, I don't. Also, this is the AL East, not the bad AL Central with which Odorizzi, Odorizzi built up You know that career year on. When he was making the All-Star team in 2019, the Tigers won 47 games. The Royals were awful. The White Sox were 72 and 90, and they finished in third. The whole division was bad. White Sox horrible, Royals awful, Tigers 47 games, one of the worst teams of all time. Jake Odorizzi won 15 games. Seven of them came against those three teams and the Marlins, who were also awful. Why do I think that Jake Odorizzi is the answer for the Red Sox? He's not. He's a pitcher that can be a a number three pitcher on a really good team. He can't carry a rotation. He's not a guy you should be able to, you should go into a season depending on. And that's what the Red Sox would have to do if they paid him. And I I can't do that. He feasted on a bad division. And he made the all-star team. And last year was hurt and pitched 13 innings. I have no interest in Jake Odorizzi. He's not going to come in and and beat the Yankees and beat the Rays and beat the Blue Jays, all these teams with power. I mean, he kept the ball in the yard during his all-star season. He's not going to do that at Yankee Stadium. He's going to get bashed around like most people do at Yankee Stadium. It's not the right signing, and it's not the right time. And by the way, it's not the right money, and Mackey told us exactly what he thinks it would cost. I think he was making $18 million off the qualifying offer last year. Yeah. I don't think he gets that on an annual basis, but could he get – I know that MLB Trade Rumors has him at like three years, 30 or $40 million or something. Um, I would be – man, like I would just be really careful about a multi-year contract with a guy that has been injured almost every year of his career. Durability. He said one career year. He doesn't go deep into games. They're all questions that I have. He doesn't line up with what I need. Younger. It's why I want to sign lower risk veterans to one year deals, and then I want to trade them. 
I want to gobble up these players that were non-tendered, that were designated for assignment, that are coming off injury. I want reclamation projects. Give me those guys. If I sign seven of them, three of them will hit. I'll flip them at the deadline, and I'll get younger. Odorizzi, even if he has a good year this year, he has a good year, the rest of my team doesn't. And then he gets older, he gets worse, and then he starts to drain my salary. That's I, that I have no interest. If, nothing, if you don't want to believe me, believe Phil Mackey. He's in Minneapolis. He's seen Odorizzi firsthand. He's watched him for a couple of years. He saw him at his best, and he saw him the next year not be available for nearly the entire season. The Twins are playing for a, for a World Series. Twins fans, does that sound like a guy who really is going to miss Odorizzi if he's not there? It doesn't to me. If your old place won't miss you, then there's a good chance that I shouldn't want you. If if you're you know, if you get a new girlfriend and you find out that she got dumped and that the old boyfriend doesn't miss her at all, is happy that she's gone, then that should raise red flags for you. Like, that relationship should show you, okay, her ex is happy she's gone. Her ex doesn't miss her. Okay, what am I getting myself into? That's Jake Odorizzi. His ex, they don't miss him there. They're not going to miss him at that money. I'm not bringing him in. That gives me a red flag. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, now I want to get to our Freddie Coleman um, interview here. And something really interesting. Usually, you know, we talked with Freddie about the Patriots, and we did that, but... We're going through what I think is a really tenuous time for sports media, and I do worry about it. And what I mean is the pandemic has made everybody more resourceful, and in a lot of ways that's good, right? There's been so much bad in the pandemic. One of the good things that come out has come out is that people have gotten more resourceful. I do video interviews, something I've never done before. We put up highlights on social media, and the intro portion of my show every day, my first segment gets video recorded. We put out a highlight on social media. I've learned to do things I never thought I would learn how to do. And a lot of us have done that too. It's also taught teams and players what they need and what they don't need. And what I, so think about this teams are going to, I really fear, start restricting access to the media. The New York Knicks are already doing this. They have said no media at Madison Square Garden for indefinitely. So covering the Knicks, you can't go to Madison Square Garden. They'll say it's because of reporter safety. They'll say it's because of occupancy limits. And some of that is probably true. But teams have realized they can get all the coverage they need through video conference calls. They don't need the media there. So they can certainly start to take the on-field or in-locker room access away. And that will allow them to insulate players, insulate coaches, insulate executives. And they can still reach fans because it's because of video conferencing calls. That's their primary concern. All they care about is that they reach fans. And they want to stay in as good a, as good a light as possible. Restrict access, keep media out of the locker room. That is a very real fear that I fear our industry might not get back. And at the end of the day, it would do the fans a disservice because – the relationships built by in-person communication among the media and players and coaches, that's where the good stuff comes from. That worries me. I worry about the future of sports broadcasting. 
if teams realize, you know, we talk to Bob Sosi every week. Bob Sosi is the voice of the Patriots. He's called every game this season from Gillette Stadium. So the team is going to be in Miami on Sunday, and he's going to call the game from Foxborough. If teams realize that guys can call games remotely and it's, quote, not that big a deal, are you going to start to see that? Are you going to start to see broadcasters not allowed to travel to road games? Are you going to see your major networks, your ESPN, your NBC, your Fox Sports? They're not going to send guys to games, and therefore the guy can call a, you know, the 1 o'clock football game from the studio and then can turn around and call the 7 o'clock game from the studio because there's no travel involved. Is that something that's going to happen? And now shrinking budgets, less opportunities for guys to get in, for girls to get in, less job opportunities because now, well, hey, this guy can call three games in a day. He just has to do it from the studio. I do worry about that. Uh, Less spots to get in and already a really hard field. And also, this is where I brought it up to Freddie. Athletes are trying to control the narrative more so than ever before, and they've realized that they can do that. The pandemic has taught them to be more resourceful. They've started a podcast. They link up and talk to each other on podcasts. They write for the Players' Tribune. They don't need to come on local radio as much. They don't need to speak to the newspaper reporter as much, and that worries me from hosting this show or hosting you know, the previous show I was on that Hey, athletes are going to stop talking to us, and they're going to start talking to each other. Well, I asked Freddie about that, and the reason why is because Kyrie Irving said, I don't want to talk to the media. I'm an artist. I want to control my message. Talking to the media, that allows you to control the message. I want to control the message. So I asked Freddie Coleman, I said, are you worried about this? I really don't because players can say that all the time, but then they use different kinds of media to get their message out, and then anybody that's a media member is going to report on that. So... You may think you're controlling the narrative, and I understand why they want to do that. But Kyrie Irving putting that out there, nobody has misconstrued any message that he's put out there. So I'm not buying that from him. So Freddie makes me feel better about that. He makes me feel better about that. And the reason why is because either way, I'm still going to have content. I'm still worried about media access being restricted for beat reporters and for guys who cover teams and for women who cover teams that I'm very worried about. I'm very worried about worried about the future of broadcasting and maybe remote broadcasting becoming more of a thing. Very worried about that. In terms of my business though, Freddie made me feel better in terms of sports radio. I'm still going to have content. Look, if Kyrie talks to me, that's great. But if Kyrie talks to Kevin Durant on Durant's podcast, I'm still going to have content to talk about. I'm still going to have things to react to. Kyrie's really not controlling the media or controlling the narrative because, yeah, he's going to say what he wants, but he's also then going to allow me a chance to react to it. And what's what's even better in some cases for me in that regard as the host is that, look, when I if I ever got Kyrie Irving on, when we get athletes on, 10 minutes, right? 10-minute interview, and that's great. But you can only ask three to four questions in a 10-minute interview. When Kyrie does an hour-and-a-half-long podcast with Durant, that's a whole lot more stuff for me to comb through. So I'm still going to end up okay. Freddie made me feel better about that. I'm still going to have stuff to talk about. But I do worry about the future of sports media. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio. 
Patriots.com. All right, it is Wednesday. We're getting ready for Patriots and Dolphins. I want to transition there. We do it every single Wednesday, kind of our first look at the Miami Dolphins with a little Know Your Enemy. It's time for Know Your Enemy. All I can do is sigh because I think today, speaking to the media, Bill Belichick told us exactly how this game is going to be played on Sunday. And it's not how I want it to get played. So here's what Belichick says. The Dolphins have done a good job. They've turned their opponents over a lot. It's a team that has really thrived off defensive off of defensive turnovers. And as always, ball security will be key for us in this game. All I can do is sigh. Belichick says they thrive off turnovers. And as always, ball security will be key for us in this game. Get ready for another run-dominant game plan. And I understand that probably the best way for the Patriots to win this game is to come out and do what they've done. Control tempo, not turn it over, run the ball, churn up yards, tire out a defensive front, wear you down, and keep the other team's offense off the field. And also, I mean, look, he's not wrong. The Dolphins' defense, second in the NFL in interceptions. They're plus 10 turnover margin for the year. They're a good team. They're a good opportunistic defense. Xavier Howard leads the league in interceptions. Throwing on this team is not advantageous. That's why Belichick is saying, let's protect the ball, let's run, let's limit their ability to capitalize on turnovers. It's probably the right solution. But I don't want to see it. I want to see Cam Newton throw the ball. I told you 25, 30 times. I want to see him sling it over the field. Everyone says Cam is done. If Cam is truly done, I need to see it with my own eyes in a game where he's not playing with one hand tied behind his back. I want to see him throw it 25 times, and if he goes 9 for 24 with three picks, then maybe I got my answer. And I want to get an answer on the wide receivers. And I want to see guys separate. I want to see guys get open. And I want to see if somebody can beat man coverage against the interception leader in the NFL. Because how many wide receivers do I need to draft? I got to get these answers at the end of the season. I want the I want the training wheels off, baby. It's but Belichick's telling me it's not going to happen. They're they thrive on turnovers. They're an opportunistic defense. They're second in the league in interceptions. They've got a candidate for defensive player of the year in Xavier Howard. We're just going to run the ball and we're going to try to hold on to it and we're going to try to protect it. And yeah, it probably is the best chance to win, but it's not the game that I want to watch. It's not the game I want to see, and it's not the game that I'm going to learn anything from. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. You know, and real quick also, there's you're calling for – people are calling to play Stidham. There's really no point in playing Stidham in this game. If it's a ball-hawking secondary who is going to take the ball away, why, why subject Stidham to that? I mean, that's the last thing I want. If you actually think Stidham is something – the last thing that I need to do is throw him out there against the team that's second in the league in interceptions and say, "Here you go, kid." I mean, that, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna glean anything from that either. All I'm gonna do is put Stidham in a position to, to have a disaster, and and nobody wants that. I don't want to do that to the kid either. So let Cam do it, and if they're evidently gonna try to win the game, and hold the ball, and try to just play keep away from the Dolphins, and that's fine. But I'm not gonna learn anything from it. I hope they win, but I wanted them to try to 
do something different. I wanted to try to learn about Cam and about the receivers, and we're not going to get that opportunity. It seems very, very clear to me in what Belichick said today. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll get to our daily dose of Doug, and we'll hear from Flutie. But also, Josh McDaniels, Patriots offensive coordinator, what is the real reason? What's the real reason that he gets so much grief? I'll answer that. That's coming up next on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Daily Dose of Doug. We'll hear from Flutie in about five minutes. He and I will be in the lab tonight taping another podcast that should come out uh, midday tomorrow or so. But first, Cam Newton defended Josh McDaniels earlier this week. Patriots offensive coordinator under fire for his play calling against the Rams. So Cam defends Josh McDaniels, and Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston says that was the right move. He's a big McDaniels fan. And to me, McDaniels has been getting blood from a stone since 2018 with this team. I mean, not literally, but pretty damn close to it. <laughs> I mean, whether it's Josh Gordon or Antonio Brown or Chris Hogan or Philip Dorsett or Cordero Patterson in the backfield, or it's it's m- absolutely mystifying to me. And I I'm, was kind of happy that Newton validated the point I'm trying to make. You got no idea how often he's saving them from themselves. It pains me to say this because I have been hugely critical of Josh McDaniels for the last couple of years. It pains me to say this, but I think that Tom Curran is probably right. The grief that McDaniels gets is probably too unfounded. He's probably helping the team far more than he's hurting the team. And it's really popular. It's a really popular thing to do for fans and for radio hosts to go after coaches or to go after coordinators. And it's probably oftentimes unjustified we don't know the personnel like McDaniels does we don't know who's got who's dealing with what injury and what limitations somebody might have but the thing that the thing I can confidently say the thing I think that frustrates fans about McDaniels because I know it frustrates me about McDaniels is one he doesn't have much of a personality he feels cold he doesn't give you much of a chance to like him you know the history of him right you know the track record. He wasn't very good in Denver. They ran him out of town there. He, he bailed on Indy. He doesn't feel like a likable guy. And when somebody doesn't feel likable, it's easier to pile on them. It's part of the reason I said about Cam that Cam wasn't getting hardly any grief this year until very recently because he's so darn likable, people don't want to call him out. He's good to the media. He's good to the fans. He's good to the organization. He's good to his teammates. People don't want to talk bad about Cam because he's so likable. McDaniels doesn't feel that. There's no warmth there. So when McDaniels is not a very likable figure, it's easy to then pile on, and it's easy then to question, and it's easy for me to criticize. The other thing that I have probably unfairly criticized McDaniels for is a lack of progress from certain players. It's hard to get better in a season. It has to be. When you're trying to put in a game plan every week, it's hard to just get better, right? Like there's not as much training. What I mean is 
we want Nikhil Harry to get better, right? We want to see Nikhil Harry take that jump in his second year, and he hasn't done that. It's probably hard for Nikhil Harry to get better in season because every day you're focused on a game plan for that week. You're, you have to think so in the micro that you're not able to step back and think of the macro. Generally, the off-season is for getting better. The in-season is for maintenance of your body and of your strength and for game plan-specific things. I also don't think it's really much of McDaniel's job, probably, to get players better. McDaniels is a play caller. He's supposed to know his personnel, understand what his personnel can do, and call the game. If Nikhil Harry is not progressing, the wide receivers coach probably is the guy we got to get on. If Cam is not progressing, it's probably the quarterback's coach we got to get on. But since oftentimes we don't know who those people are, we just assume and dump it all on the on on McDaniel's or on the offensive coordinator. I'm guilty of it. Tom Curran's right. Josh McDaniels gets too much grief, and I have been somebody who has given him too much grief. But it feels like the only thing to do at times. He, it's easy to dump on him because he's not all that likable. When Sony Michelle doesn't get better, when Sony Michelle appears to have regressed, we probably should call out the running backs coach, coach. But we don't. We call out McDaniels. When Nikhil Harry doesn't progress, we should probably call out the wide receivers coach. But we don't. We call out McDaniels. When Cam Newton is struggling, we should probably call out the quarterback's coach, but we don't. We call out McDaniels, and I'm very guilty of it, and I've been guilty of it for years. The one thing that I can, I, I believe I'm still right on that bothers me is I want to see more continued creativity out of the Patriots offense, but maybe that's also wrong. Maybe that's also wrong. I I liked when the Patriots played Cordero Patterson at running back a couple years ago. I liked that. I liked the creativity. I liked the trick plays. We see it from time to time. But I've always felt we don't see it enough. But maybe it's a double-edged sword. Like, this thing isn't Madden. And maybe it's wrong of me to think of it like that. Hey, I can put this guy in this formation. and put this guy here and motion that guy there. And just that's what I did in the video game. Maybe it doesn't really work like that. And we blame that on McDaniels, too. The Pats don't have the personnel to do certain things. We see the Rams motioning tight ends into the backfield and running motion. The Patriots don't have that. They can't do that. So I shouldn't blame McDaniels on that. That's a Belichick problem. That's a Nick Casario problem. If they don't have the personnel to do creative things, that's not a big deal. He's just playing the hand that he's dealt most of the time. I'd like to see James White line up in the slot. When Rex Burkhead was playing, I'd like to see him line up in the slot. But beyond that, I think a lack of creativity is not always on McDaniels. It's the personnel doesn't lend itself to that. So I I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I have to table my Josh McDaniels disdain for the rest of the year probably. Because Tom Curran's right. He is likely saving the Patriots far more than he is hurting them. And it hasn't felt that way to me for the last several years, but it is probably the truth. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, we do it every single day. I do a podcast with Doug Flutie, former Patriots quarterback, on two occasions. We hear a little bit of that every day. It's our daily dose of Doug. Doug. 
So Brady does a podcast with former Patriots quarterback Doug Flutie. Doug is a lot more famous than Brady. Flutie flushed, throws it down, caught by Boston College. I don't believe it. Doug is a lot smarter than Brady. Spread him out, throw the ball over the field, five yards at a time, basketball on grass, and go down the field. So let's listen to Doug. It's your daily dose of Doug on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, daily dose of Doug right here on the Brady Farkas Show. Patriots are 6-7. and seven. They are 98% eliminated from the playoff race. So I've asked Flutie, I said, hey, what is the motivation at the end of the year? Because in my mind, the end of the year, when your team's out of it or close to out of it, you start seeing business decisions get made. Guys start um, maybe freelancing a little bit, playing a little more selfish. They want to hit some incentives. They want to pad their stats so they look better going into free agency. Guys might want to not play so that they don't get hurt going into free agency. I asked Flutie, does that really happen? What's the motivation at the end of a season that's either away from you or getting away from you? I was still playing for a job. And that was the mentality. That's what it turns to. For most of the players, it turns to you're on film every day in practice. You're on film every Sunday. And you are playing for your job so they don't try to replace you next year. Because obviously, the media is starting to write, what are the needs of this football team? We need this in the D-line. We need this at the quarterback position. We need this at wide receiver. We need, And so you're one of those guys they're talking about. You're one of those guys that every day in the newspaper, they're trying to replace you. I think Doug is right. I do think that this team will stay motivated all year long. There are some guys that make business decisions in the league, but there's a very small number of players that can afford to do that. A guy that can sit to protect himself for free agency, those guys are few and far between. Most guys need to play as hard as they can all the time to stay in the league. So I think this team will continue to have a lot of motivation, even if they fall completely out of the playoff race. Guys are always playing for something. Very few guys give up and give in. You've got guys in New England that are trying to hold jobs here. Jacoby Myers has turned into a really nice player. He'd like to stay in New England, I'm sure. Demir Bird has had a good year. in New England. For as limited as they've been passing-wise, Demir Bird has balled out on occasion. I'm sure he'd like to have a job next year. He's going to remain motivated. Guys are trying to get new deals on their own. That's going to motivate them. Maybe money, job security, longevity. Some guys might be retiring, and they want to go out on a high note, whether that's Devin McCourty, Jason McCourty, Julian Edelman when he comes back. I mean, there there are reasons to stay motivated. And guys are looking for film, always looking for for film. Next season, next offseason, guys are looking for starting jobs. Whatever level you're at, you're looking to get to the next level. Guys that were third stringers want to move up. Guys that were second stringers want to move up. Guys that were starters want to keep their jobs. Some guys are trying to hold their jobs because the Patriots had eight players opt out from COVID and maybe they're coming back and you don't know what's going to happen. I just think there's a lot of reason to stay motivated for this team. I don't think you'll see the Patriots do what a limited number of players do in the NFL, which is pack it in. The Patriots have no reason to pack it in. Their veteran players want to continue to set the culture in New England and their uh, veteran players might want to go out on a high note if they're going to retire. Their young players want to continue to get better and impress the coaches for, so they can make a big jump going into next year. And other guys just want to keep jobs, jobs in New England, jobs elsewhere. They want to stave off the future rookies. They want to stave off the guys that might be coming back from, from opting out of the season. We'll see what happens, but I don't know that the Patriots are going to win 
against Miami. But I think they're going to come out and they're going to be incredibly motivated and they're going to play very, very hard. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We also do this every single day. Real quickly, guys, it is crazy Twitter takes because this one, this one was a doozy. The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah. They can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The The internet. internet. It's time for crazy Twitter takes on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? All right. I mean, this is by somebody whose name I'm not even going to credit for. He says, why did Henry McKenna, who's the author of Patriots Wire, who wrote the story on Nikhil Harry's trainer calling out Cam Newton, why did McKenna do this to Cam Newton? It was written just to hurt Cam in the NFL. He purposely did it to Cam because the push is to get Matthew Stafford, Matt Ryan, or Stidman. Stafford and Ryan haven't won the number of games as Cam. Cam needs to ask God to give him something else. First off, it's Stidham, not Stidman. So let's get that out there. Also, Henry McKenna did not write this story to ruin Cam's career. Henry McKenna is doing his job. He got an interview with Nikhil Harry's trainer. Nikhil Harry's trainer is the guy who bashed Cam. All Henry McKenna did was do his job. He wrote a quote. That's it. No angle, no slant. I know Henry. I've had him on multiple times. I had him on Doug in my podcast. I've had him on my radio shows before. Good guy, good reporter, works hard, not looking to ruin Cam's career. And if Cam's career was ruined, the film would be the one doing it, not Henry McKenna's article. So, I mean, and also, if Henry McKenna wants to get Matthew Stafford or Matt Ryan in Foxborough. He's got no power to do that. That's going to be Bill Belichick and Nick Casario. Henry McKenna, not going to be the guy that makes that happen. So this Twitter user, I, mean, this, I think this guy had no profile picture. That's why. You couldn't even put his face to this ridiculous take. Henry McKenna, not trying to ruin Cam's career, has no power to bring in Matt Ryan or Matthew Stafford, has no power to get Jared Stidham starting, and it is Stidham and not Stidman. So... This is why this is why crazy Twitter takes is such a fun segment because you see things like this that don't make any sense from people that don't know what they're talking about. So and it's not anybody local. It's just I mean, who even knows where this guy is from? This anonymous guy. So, all right, when we come back, somebody said something crazy about Giannis Antetokounmpo, and sadly, I think they're right. It was crazy. But sadly, I think they're right. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? I think Julian Edelman is cashed. I think he's done. I, I think we're done seeing him as the Julian Edelman that we know and love. They really said that? The Patriots right now, they are the Jets. They have no quarterback play. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, welcome back. Brady Farkas Show right here, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Full show podcast after the fact, our interview with Freddie Coleman, some special things that we do as well. Subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at WDEVradio.com. All right, who's saying what here? ESPN radio host Zubin Mahente, and he was talking about um, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Milwaukee Bucks superstar, signed a five-year Supermax deal to stay in Milwaukee. Here's what Zubin said. It's crazy, 
And sadly, I think he's right. I love Giannis. Ethnic, diverse, super likable, super talented, rangy, unicorn-like. But key, he's 25. He's won back-to-back MVPs, Defensive Player of the Year, a leader on one of the NBA's best teams. But he just doesn't. Does this sound crazy, Key? He's not like LeBron. He doesn't get me to the TV. If you- it does sound crazy, but I think he's right. Giannis doesn't get me to the TV either. And there's a couple reasons I think why, and I feel guilty saying this because Giannis is great. MVP, Defensive Player of the Year. His team's in the playoffs. He's not buried in obscurity. Weirdly, though, I feel like I've seen Giannis before. I feel like I've seen a player like Giannis before. He's incredibly athletic. He's great around the rim. He doesn't shoot well. He can't hit free throws. I feel like I've seen that guy before. Shaq was that guy to a degree, but more dominant. Blake Griffin's been that guy. Dwight Howard's been that guy. Like, I've seen a player with that kind of skill set before. Giannis is incredibly likable. He is great. He is deserving of all the accolades. But when when you think of a guy that gets you to the TV, what are the qualities that do that? A guy that gets me to the TV is a guy who's maybe the best ever at something. Steph Curry, maybe the best shooter in NBA history. He gets me to the TV. LeBron, maybe the best player in NBA history. He gets me to the TV. Mike Trout might be the best baseball player in history. He gets me to the TV. Patrick Mahomes might be the most talented quarterback in history. He gets me to the TV. Tom Brady might be the best player of all time. He gets me to the TV. Giannis isn't the best player of all time. He isn't even the best big man who can't shoot of all time. That's Shaq. So he doesn't have that. He's also, to his credit, not outlandish or abrasive. Somebody who I dislike gets me to the TV, or somebody who has an outlandish quality. Cam gets me to the TV. He's likable. But what's he going to wear? What's his style going to be? What's his celebration going to be? Cam gets me to the TV. Chad Ochocinco got me to the TV. What was he going to do next? Terrell Owens got me to the TV. What was he going to do next? Bryce Harper gets me to the TV. Ruffles feathers. Talks trash. Richard Sherman. Like, those guys get me to the TV. Giannis, too... For a good reason. For a lot of it's good. He's just not abrasive. He doesn't cause conflict. That doesn't, you know, so he doesn't have that going for him. He also, he hasn't come up through the American sports system. And I don't mean I don't like him because he's not American. But he hasn't come up through the American sports system. And all I mean by that is this. I haven't had the prospect hype train on Giannis forever. I knew who LeBron was at 15. I felt like like I was invested in him. I knew who Zion was at 16. I felt like I was invested in him. I know who these baseball prospects are. I get invested in them. I know who, when when Trevor Lawrence gets drafted number one next year, I'm going to watch him because I've been hearing about him for three and a half years now. The hype train gets behind these young kids in our own backyard. I didn't know who Giannis was until 21. So I haven't, I don't feel invested in his career in the way that I do a guy who played college football or Zion who went to Duke or LeBron. I just don't. And I feel guilty saying that because Giannis is great. He is everything you'd want to build a franchise around. He absolutely should be a hero in Milwaukee. But to me, he's just a great player. And I don't set my schedule around him. I set my schedule last year around Zion. 
I had heard so much. The buildup was so great. I wanted to see it in person. Giannis, there was no buildup. He just came here. He just he just came, and he got good kind of out of nowhere, at least to me. And that doesn't get me to the TV. For as good as he is, I think Zubin Mahente is right. I feel guilty saying it. Giannis is great. Easy to root for. I, I'm with him, though. I watch him play the Celtics, but I'm watching for the Celtics. I watch him play LeBron. I'm watching for LeBron. That's how it is. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Show brought to you by the all-new Preston's Kia in Montpelier, home of lifetime oil changes and state inspections. Preston's Kia, family-owned and operated. They will do whatever it takes to earn and keep your business. The podcast channel is up and flush with all kinds of content today, so you can find that by searching for the Brady Farkas Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at WDEVradio.com. I an eagle. CBS, NFL on CBS broadcaster. He's calling Patriots Dolphins on Sunday. He's going to be with us tomorrow at 545. We're going to have some stuff on the podcast channel. Eric Eaton, St. Michael's basketball coach, is going to join us, talk about the cancellation of their championships uh, in the Northeast 10 this season. So a lot of good stuff coming. Dinner Jazz with John Wilson is next. ESPN Radio with Freddie Coleman. That comes up at 9 p.m. Until then, everybody, have a great day, and I'll see you tomorrow right here on WDEV AM and FM. WDEVradio.com.